from 9 a.m. to 6:30 p.m. on Friday, the 30th March. 3CR is dedicating its media space to support this noble cause. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning and welcome to 3CR Thursday Breakfast. Uh, you're joined by Dean and Shez. Good morning, Shez. Good morning, Dean. How are you? Oh, I'm not too bad. Oh, a bit yeah. tired this morning, but yeah. How about you? <laughs> it's only March. We've still got, what, uh, nine more months to go until the festive season. We've still got to go know, through winter. I know. You know, I'm all the darkness. Oh, I'm really well. I'm really well. I um. Just quickly, um, before I ask you about last week's show, 3CR is proud to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which we transmit people-powered radio. Well, so that um, sovereignty was uh, never ceded and the treaty was never signed. That's exactly right. And what are wrong people? I was down that way towards Geelong over the long weekend and... Um, it's amazing when you sort of uh, pay attention and when you're in this space, you do see the different areas and the different tribal areas as you drive around Victoria and you start oh. to recognise the, yeah, the, the names of, of those different tribal areas, whereas most people just think, oh, Indigenous people, Indigenous people. They just put them all in one basket. But obviously there's different tribal groups that were living in Victoria as well. So, oh. um, And how was International Women's Day? Um it was good. We had um, a whole day of um, of radio powered by um, female identifying voices, which was awesome. Um, and we had a special two-hour show um, for Thursday breakfast. Yep. So you yep. weren't here. No, that's um, right. <laughs> um, the only time I really wanted to be here I was excluded. You know, it was eighth of March. Oh, wasn't it? don't use that language. <laughs> you weren't excluded. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So we had a two, yeah special two-hour broadcast. So we had uh, five guests, yeah. um, and we talked about um, different things to do with uh, feminism, pretty much. Um, and so we had um, Iris Lee, who presents Queering in the Air um, on 3CR. We had uh, Hella Ibrahim, who is the editor and founder of Jed, which is a platform to promote people of colour. Um, we had. Um, Shakira Hussein, who... Oh, it's always is, nice to have a live studio guest. Yeah. All, that, all these people were live. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, oh, singing. Yeah. Oh. Singing. <laughs> oh, we didn't have any live singing. Oh, okay. Yeah, Shakira yeah. Hussein's an ac- academic and writer. Yeah. Uh, we had Adele Mondello, who is the um, CEO for the Centre, um, the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. Um, yeah, and we had a really interesting discussion about sort of history histories and surrounding feminism, so not just white feminism, but going beyond beyond that. Yeah, um, like so the, the middle class and covering all of those areas. Yeah, well. yeah. So yeah. We, yeah, we talked about class. Um, we talked about um, how feminism has been dominated by, you know, sort of like it's white and white-centric 
discourse yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Um, and classist and ableist and all that sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, we try to dismantle some of that stuff as much as you can in the in, in, in that two time stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> and with five people. And I think yeah. you talked about um, representation and yeah. I guess the importance of representation and, and tokenism and things yeah, like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, yeah, the importance of representations, but also how it can lead to tokenism yeah. representation. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and we talked about decolonizing, decolonizing certain feminisms and yeah. decentering certain feminisms because um, feminism is not just about um, people who were born, as, like, assigned... As this unassigned woman. Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's yeah. also about other stuff. So, yeah. So that's what we talked about. <laughs> and uh, it would have been good if uh, the um, it was interesting listening to the Melbourne City Council come out yesterday and support yeah. you know the woman in regards to the complaint she made against Councillor Robert Doyle. And you know yeah. it's amazing how far we've come. And there's still that sort of male-dominated culture in some industries where they think it's okay to behave inappropriately as well towards. Women in well, general, yeah. Yeah, you know what? Like, I think all industries are male-dominated. Um, I am, yeah, like, uh, at the moment I'm currently a PhD student and academia is very heavily male-dominated. Mm. It has those traditions. It's not just about the fact that there's lots of men there. It's also about the tradition on which it was built. So, you know, academia was a, yeah, a thing. The old-schooled boys yeah, tie. Yeah, yeah. Comedy, <laughs> exactly, know. yeah. Um, I would have um, liked to have seen that expose on the university crisis that we're having at the moment because I'm sure it stems from that sort of ideology as well. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it sounded like a great show. Unfortunately, I, I couldn't listen to it. I was in, in training for, for work. But um, you can always, before we finish our show, go back in and listen on 3cr.org.au forward slash Thursday Breakfast. Um, and also it's um, it's podcasted, so it's on, it's on Apple Podcasts or Whatever other podcasts, <laughs> yeah. well, I know it's Apple, which Android. is really bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those guys who yeah. are about to wreck uh, Federation Square, not. Um, you know, they're talking about building that big shop down there. On our show today, um, we've got Andrew Tain, who is a, uh, one of the directors at uh, Cohab, talking about. I got a little bit confused. I thought it was about um, a platform to help people who are homeless and people who were you know, living during this uh, housing affordability crisis get together, but it's actually a platform to promote um, co-ownership of homes so you and your friend can come together and buy a property mm-hmm. and then that way you get into the property market. So it would be quite interesting to... Yeah, yeah, if you have money to buy that. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no. Like, oh, You're right, you know. very um, market... Friendly, isn't it, or whatever. Yeah, but, and, and you're correct because what, you know, there are so many barriers to it. Um, you know, they were talking about buyer changes that the Victorian government had a new strategy to help people get into housing affordability, but you still need money, don't you? Yeah. Like, you can come up with all so these we're, strategies. We're, we're talking about, like, middle to upper middle class people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. We just need to make that clear as well when we, um, yeah, it's not about. Everybody else helping like the housing market or changing the housing market or the structures that um, allow for certain people to own property. No, 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 it's not about and keep (laughs) owning property. Yeah, Uh, and at seven forty-five, we've got uh, Millie Telford. Yeah, yeah, Um, and she's the Indigenous uh, Seed Indigenous Youth Network National Director. Um, and she'll be talking about um, a campaign or several campaigns that the Seed Mob have going on at the minute, um, including um, there's a Snap Rally uh, next 
Wednesday um, at Federation Square. Um, and this is about to um, tell people, to tell the NT government to stop fracking um, Aboriginal land. In the Northern Territory. And then after eight, just after eight, we'll be talking to... Desi Reese, and I'm really excited about this because we're actually going to be talking to someone in Timor. So we'll be calling in internationally um, and we'll be talking about a project that seeks to use radio as a platform to support voices and ideas of people with disabilities. Oh, um, yeah. And they've got a campaign, yeah, so they've got a campaign at the minute and I think it ends today and um, I think, you know, they still need some support. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all about, um, I guess, ra- raising funds, which yeah. would be fantastic. Exactly. Might go to one or two community announcements and uh, I might remind all Australians about how important your brain is in just a moment. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice and add your voice to the call for change to refugee policy. Demand Australia's political leaders to abandon the current harsh and unjust policies and provide permanent protection for refugees. Stand with people from all over Melbourne. Demand the evacuation of Manus and Nauru and end the cruelty. Meet at the State Library of Victoria on the 25th of March at 1.30pm. Palm Sunday Walk for Justice is a 3CR supporter. Love us, we see our radical radio t shirts, and so do we. They're a bargain at $20 for adults and $15 for kids, and come in black, white, gray, and a cool light blue. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 9419 8377. Or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. Language warning. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Uh, it's ten past seven on eight five five AM three CR. Just quickly, it is um, Brain Awareness Week this week. Uh, it started on uh, the twelfth 
of March and we'll keep running until the 18th. So it's a global campaign to increase public awareness around the benefits of maintaining a healthy brain and potentially reducing the risk of developing conditions such as dementia. Uh, And I guess the message this year is that your brain matters. Um, Dementia Australia says, you know, it's never too late to look after our most important health asset. And they're reminding all Australians to be proactive when it comes to brain health. There are currently 425,000 Australians living with dementia. And without a medical breakthrough, this number is expected to increase to over 1 million people by 2056. It seems like such a long Mm. time away. <laughs> mm. I remember watching Back to the Future. We're in 2018 already. I know. You know. Um, so the five steps to maximise your brain health include looking after your health, doing some kind of physical activity, um, mentally challenging your brain, maybe playing Sudoku, following a healthy diet, and the key is also enjoying social interaction with people whose company you enjoy, and that can help. Uh, so you can visit dementia.org.au to find out more about Brain Awareness Week. Um, and moving away from that, there is another brain-related issue, a brain explosion from the South African government. Oh, <laughs> yes. No, no, uh, the brain explosion, like I think like all power to the South African government and brain explosion is actually Peter Dutton because I hate him. Um, sorry, I probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> okay, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, you go. You go. Um, so he, so yes, so the Guardian's reporting that uh, yesterday um, Peter Dutton told um, the Daily Telegraph um, that um, white South African farmers deserve special attention from Australia due to, to the horrific circumstances of land seizures and violence. So uh, I'll just give a bit of background. So Australia is actually considering fast-tracking visas for white Australian, I mean, for white South African farmers um, after um, the uh, new policy uh, by South Africa's new president um, of... Cyril Ramaphosa. Yes, yeah, Cyril Ramaphosa, of taking back um, land that belongs that you know belongs um, to uh, white farmers. Uh, it actually belongs to um, black South African people, but um, due to colonisation um, and current system, um, it, um, it's currently owned by, by many wh- wh- white people. Um, and so um, this, you know, policy apparently has led to reports um, that uh, white farmers are being murdered at, rate more, at a wet rate more than one per week. Um, those reports, are, um, I'm not too sure about the, yeah, they're, all they're, of that, but yeah. like when we look at the whole system surrounding this, um, people in South Africa, the people who have the pa- well, who have the land rights, or who have the land and the money, are white people hmm. um, who have come there in the past, you know, whatever, due to colonisation, um, and the people who are disadvantaged are black people. So when you talk about when um, the Home Affairs Minister talks about special attention um, to people, uh, to horrific circumstances um, faced by white farmers. I'm, I'm very uh, sceptical of that. And what, are you going to bring them here so they can take Aboriginal, more Aboriginal land, you know? Like what? <laughs> well, like that is, like that's farming. actually ridiculous. Like, no, yes. it's disgusting. It's actually disgusting. Um, and yeah, and, and then they try, and then, there's, so there's that. But then the Home, Home Affairs Minister is quite happy to send Tamil refugees 
uh, back, back home. home. Um, to, and yeah, Sri Lankan uh, back, yeah. uh, Lanka refugees back while home. While we can bring some people who actually have quite a lot of privilege to, to white, white farmers to Australia. And he has been quoted saying, and this is, this is I, I, I thought this is um, quite equally disgusting. Um, so, so yeah, so the, um, I'm just quoting from the, um, Guardian article here. Uh, the Home Affairs Minister noted, um, Australia has refugee, humanitarian and other visa programs which have the potential to help some of these people. Um, but he said, um, he asked his department to look at the options of fast tracking because, um, and this is a quote, because from what I have seen, they do need help from a civilised country like ours. That is what <laughs> Dutton said. So he's pretty much saying that we're good and um, South Africa is bad because um, the South African government want their land back. Yeah, I, and it, there's two sides to that story. I, the civilised part... From what from, from what he's saying, I would agree because I think what he, what the South African government's doing is very very uncivilized. It's been now 20 years since Nelson Mandela became president. It's the 20th year anniversary of that, and I know in 1994 it was all about making sure that um, you have a, 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 an inclusive South Africa. But what's happening there is that there's going to, it's going to go down the same path as Zimbabwe. You can't take people's land without compensation. That's a separate issue altogether. (laughs) Do you think the colonisers gave compensation to black people? No, but it's just, it's just going to lead to, to a situation. And Julius Malema, who I'm not a big fan of, he's the economic freedom fighters boss down there. It's a violation of a 94 agreement that promised that minorities, because now white people are minorities. Their interests obviously don't outweigh the majority, Uh but they're the people, yes, colonisation happened, but they've made the country what it is. They've got the farming practices. Take their land, but you can't just leave people desolate. Even if you don't give them what it's worth, give them something. You can't just reclaim it because it then leads to the same situation as it is in Zimbabwe where the country then is torn apart by people, civil rights groups who are saying, well, this is bad, and then you've got the majority who might be saying, well, yeah, it's great, let's just take it. Who does the land go to? In in every African country, as much as they're doing their best, there's corruption. The prime right. example is the ex-president who's just wasted the government's money building a compound, and he hasn't even been impeached. This will lead to people benefiting for themselves and mm. not for the country. That's my worry. That's a separate issue. Peter Dutton is just way over the line, <laughs> way over the line. You can't, you, can't, you can't do that. There are so many people who are struggling, who are in far worse conditions, who need their visas fast-tracked, more oh. so than farmers who can stay for 10 years in South Africa without the land and make the right applications to come over. That's fine. I don't see the need to fast-track their visa applications yeah, at all, yeah. you know. Um, mm. uh, I was reading, is it Subirathan? We spoke to the Tamil Refugee Council a couple of weeks back. Oh, yeah, yeah. His family, now that he's been back in Sri Lanka, has been constantly harassed. His yes. wife is being harassed. Yep. His kid's been harassed at school. He's been harassed. You know, he's been, followed yeah, everywhere yeah. he goes. And the government yeah. still sort of say, oh, no, these are just legal things that we're doing to make sure that, you know, He's okay back home, but his life is miserable over there. 
So we get constantly getting updates, obviously, about mm. um, what's happened to him and the three other um, Tamil refugees who were deported at the same time. Mm. And we'll keep, you know, um, uh, talking to, to um, organisations about that as well. Yeah, and also um, last last night... Um the, there was a last-minute intervention. Um, so a family of Tamil asylum seekers um, who were forcibly removed in Brisbane by Australian border force and moved down to Maita in Melbourne, in Broadmeadows. Um, and then they were put on a plane last night. Um, and, um, yeah, uh, they have now, they're now remaining in Australia after a last-minute uh, legal intervention um, it literally saws and pulled off the plane bound to Sri Lanka. Oh, great. Yeah, just yeah. before takeoff. Yeah. So that's great. So, um, yeah, just uh, that was a Tamil um, family, so with um, two children as well. So that's good that they're staying. And getting back to the uh, fast track, I know um, in December last year, Legal Aid Victoria had argued that people who had arrived by boat were being treated as second-class uh, citizens in, in their High Court challenge to fast-tracking assessments. So if you'd like to find out a little, little bit more about, you know, the difference between what's happening to refugees who are wanting to settle here and then the process involved in fast-tracking visa applications, you can probably go to the Legal Aid website and just sort of get mm-hmm. a bit of an understanding about that because it's, yeah, the fast-track process uh, has been challenged in the High Court before and I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. if this is about to go ahead, the same thing's going to happen again. You'll definitely have to, yeah, go back there and say, well, what right do these people have Mm. to to be fast-tracked? But I like your point about the other land that might be taken in response as well, well, the one that has been in this country. Mm. And if you get more farmers, where do they get their land from? Exactly. Mm. We'll be back in just a moment. I was going to try and actually... um, talk to, get an interview from um, Amanda Thomas, who is um, from NZ Environment, but we might listen to that after eight, especially um, after we speak to um, Millie Telford about what's happening in the Northern Territory. Um, in New Zealand, there's uh, the me- there's the, the big issue about the media framing on uh, oil exploration, you know, and how they're mm-hmm. trying to make it pro through the media and not necessarily giving a fair report on what the impacts and the environmental impacts might be on New Zealand as well. Dear listeners, the annual Good Friday charity radiothon of the Australian Medical Aid Foundation will kick off from 9am to 6.30pm on Friday the 30th March. 3CR is dedicating its media space to support this noble cause. Therefore, 3CR's regular program will not be on air during this time. The funds raised from this 10-hour radiothon will be utilized to supply medical aid, equipment, training, patient-centered care programs and resources to those affected by 30 years of war in the north and east of Sri Lanka. You too can become a generous partner by calling us on 03-9419-8377 during the radiothon on 30th Friday to donate towards this wonderful initiative. Running hospital, St. Vincent's Hospital, is turning 125. They're calling on community to help rising funds. 
to support the vital work of the hospital by participating in a pajama-themed fun run. On Sunday, April 15, at Princess Park in Carlton North. Registrations are now open. For more information, head to stvincentsfunrun.org.au. St Vincent is a 3CR supporter. I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues. Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program, on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled, and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Welcome back to 3CR, 855am. Uh, our regular listeners would know that every Thursday after Thursday breakfast, we are joined by the Lost in Science crew. Um, sorry about that. And that's on at 8.30 every Thursday and 855. Um, last night, uh, yeah, it was sad to hear that the visionary physicist Stephen Hawking had died at the age of 76. I don't know much about science, but... Um, we know that, you know, uh, Stephen Hawking was uh, famed for his work with uh, the theory of relativity and, and black holes, and he wrote several popular science books, um, including A Brief Feast of Time. Um, and I'm sure next week the Lost in Science crew will probably do a valet to Stephen Hawking. Um, uh, from, from all reports and all the news reports, it seems like we have lost... Uh, a great man whose uh, work and legacy will live on for many years to come. Um, from what I what I'd seen and when I'd heard him speak, it it, it, it always sounded like he um you know had his mind was phenomenal. Um, and he also discovered you know things like black holes, which uh, uh, later became known as uh, Hawking radiation. So valet Stephen Hawking, we will try. And um, obviously uh, tune in to 3CR every Thursday at 8.30, Lost in Science. They might have a tribute to Stephen Hawking uh, next week. They might even have it this week. Um, we're going to try and get our next guest on, but what I'll do is go to a quick song called Push It by Rosie Burgess Band. Uh, hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. I've, this is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great and really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter.
We're back. It's uh, 7.30 on 8.55am. It's time now uh, to introduce our next guest. Uh, I guess one of the main things that sort of um, happens uh, around Australia uh, in terms of housing affordability is that a lot of people can't afford to to buy a house or get into houses. Um, And there's been a new... Uh, platform which was launched to tackle housing affordability and the platform is called Cohab. We are joined on the line now by um, Andrew Tian, who is the sales director at Cohab. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning, Andrew. Sorry. How are you? Yeah, yeah good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Very well. Thanks for joining us on 3CR. No, it's um, not at all. Thanks for the invite. No, it's, uh, look, uh, when I read that, the, your, your press release um, from Agent 99, I was sort of a, a bit intrigued about um, the idea behind the platform. Obviously, it's, it, it's all about uh, helping friends, family and like-minded buyers purchase a home together. Yeah, exactly. Look, I think um, everyone's interested because property in Australia is our favourite pastime and uh, everybody sort of grows up and wants to uh, own their own home and unfortunately that dream as such is becoming harder and harder, especially for first home buyers with um, with the Sydney market being the second most unaffordable market in the world, closely followed by Melbourne being fifth. So we looked at the, the problem and thought there's got to be a, a different way. Uh, why does property have to always be an all or nothing lifetime decision? And we created Cohab, which is really the first ever digital platform that's centred around building a community and marketplace to understand ownership. Uh, and being able to buy together in a safe and secure and transparent manner. And I guess um, for us here in Victoria, I know last year the Victorian government had released um, a new strategy called Homes for Victorians, which sort of aimed to address many of the housing issues facing Victorians. Um, you know, and obviously property ownership means you've got to have money. In terms of cohab and putting people together, how large a group can, can, can it be? You know, can it be 10 people? Can it be two people? Can it be up to 20 people who might put in to go and buy a house? Yeah, yeah, it's a really good question. So you've got, I guess, that, uh, you know, full ownership, um, which you would understand today, and then you've got businesses out there which are fractional investment where you can, you know, own sort of a brick of 1,000. Um, we sit kind of in the middle to a degree. Co-ownership's usually centred around two people, and... We haven't invented it. Um, people understand it as tenants in common, and tenants in common's been under British law for 260-odd years. So it can be two. Um, look, it can be up to 10. It can be more than that. But we feel that um, the right market for this, um, this platform is going to be around, around that two to five. Um, you know, ultimately, once you start getting up towards sort of 10 and 20 people, it can become very complex. Uh, it can be achieved because you are going through what, We've created in a co-ownership agreement, um, which clearly outlines the percentage of ownership that you have within the property on title. Uh, you do have that ownership there in black and white, um, and but ultimately I think that it's going to be driven by probably more family and friends. Um, we hear a lot about the bank of mum and dad and, um, and mum and dad trying to help their kids getting into the market. And really under some of those scenarios, they're doing it without understanding the risks that are associated with that and not formalising the process. Um, so we're really looking at making sure that from a legal perspective, 
Um, you've got a co-ownership agreement which really clearly outlines um, the, what's involved and, and also, you know, what happens in the event that situations change. Um, we're working with our bank partners around a bespoke co-ownership bank loan, uh, which again treats the, um, the owners as individuals versus being pulled together as well as an insurance product that you can have in the event that um, you want to have peace of mind um, if circumstances change where one party loses their job and has the inability to pay um, their, their half, let's just say as an example, you don't want to be then enforced to be able to sell your property. You want to have some time to work through that. So that's why the insurance product or the cohab guarantee is an important um, part of the process as well. And, and I guess, um, you know, you talked about that, 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 that what could happen potentially, which is, you know, the situation where somebody, yeah, could lose their job. Um, and, and then that affects what's happening. Uh, obviously in Victoria, there's been some, you know, uh, changes to, 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 to buying things like stamp duty for first home buyers and investors and things like that. But also mm. the, the focus on investment in public housing. Where do you sort of, as a, as a, as a platform sit, um, between, you know, helping people who are maybe on that, on the edge of public housing, homelessness, but then also wanting to buy a property? Yeah, look, we're really centred around um, getting as many Australians as we can into property. It's mm. real people and it's real property. I guess we are working at the moment with um, a number of um, developers, um, you know, not only in New South Wales but actually also in Victoria around um, maybe addressing some of the key issues around critical services. If yep. you think about it today, there was a report, and I am based in Sydney, but this would probably um, be relevant across the country that... Um, People such as nurses on their average wage, the closest they can afford to buy to Sydney CBD is 300 kilometres, um, which is not an ideal situation. So working with developers to say, hey, there's an opportunity to hold some of the property and even go down the path of um, you know, selling half properties and, um, and allowing people to enter that market, not dissimilar to what you probably see over in United Kingdom through the um, to the uh, rent to buy models that they have. We don't have that here, but that's not to say that that can't come into our market. So when we're working with all of our, I guess, partners, it's really centred around how can we get more um, people into property. And certainly, we think that co-ownership, given that right now um, people are working very hard to save a deposit, and then they get to that level, and then property continues to go up, um, and that gap becomes greater. So anywhere we can help to um, to get a couple of parties in, allow them to um, to enter the market. This could flow into people that are renting together. You know, mm. some of your listeners that they're renting together right now. They've been together for a number of years. They've got good incomes, but they've really struggled to get that deposit. They pull their money together. Um, they get into it um, from a buying perspective versus renting, knowing that it's not a forever decision, um, and there has to be an opportunity. Um, with flexibility and personal situations that change to, you know, five years, ten years down the track to be able to exit that. So we also want to be the first ever platform where you can sell um, portional um, property. Uh, right now, if you look at other domains out there, you need to list your full property. Uh, we actually had our first ever last week up here in Sydney and Manly where a vendor wanted to sell um, a half listing, if you'd like. Um, and we've created, I guess, a marketplace there where people might not necessarily have the money for a full property, but they could go in uh, with an existing vendor uh, and they could buy half a property either for um, living purposes or as an investor into that, which we think 
is certainly a situation that's going to continue to to grow um, given circumstances that do arise in personal lives. You know, uh, you know, an example is um, a couple going through a divorce. Um, one mm. person might want to stay in the property because the kids are in school and they don't want to disrupt that. The other party might want to take their uh, their portion off the table to have. I guess a platform that allows that to occur by um, opening up, you know, investors and co-owners that want to buy um, proportional properties. We feel that that's going to only um, only help. And I think um, the idea of being able to sort of increase the supply of housing um, through, you know, smarter planning and faster um, uh, maybe approval being a win-win for uh, some. Uh, developers who with the right mind, but also home buyers alike, and ensuring you know hopefully more uh, competitive pressures on prices, especially you know with Victoria's population growing at more than 100,000 people a year, we sort of need more houses being built to keep up, but we also need more houses on the market where people can be able to yeah maybe um, buy them as a partnership at a, at a really really competitive rate. Yeah, 100%. Like we, and as I said, we're working with groups right now to look at it, how do we get investors to combine and get in. I guess the, the reality is that most people uh, really want to live where they want to live. Yeah. Um, you know, ultimately it's great for people who are probably already in the property market to say you can afford, but that's 200 kilometres away from where you, your favourite cafe is and where all your friends and your community live. So really we're saying, hey, there is an opportunity here if... You're looking to to buy, and you want to buy where you want to live. Then maybe the opportunities around co-ownership. Um, and and what we would ask is people go onto our platform, which is at um, www.cohab.com, which is with a K. Uh, it's free to register for members. You can go on and learn a lot about co-ownership. Is it right for you? What does it uh, entail? How do I go about it? Um, you can talk to experts, both on a um, a banking front, on a legal front, an insurance front, you can search for properties. We've got over 100,000 properties on the platform in our first week. Um, mm. you, can bring, you can bring family and friends into the platform and, and chat about properties. And then when you're sort of ready to go, you can look at um, you know, getting a co-ownership agreement and understanding the conditions that, um, that are in place if you decide to go down that path. Andrew, thanks for joining us on 3CR. Um, yeah, really Perfect. appreciate your time. Thanks. Have a great day. Speak soon. Thank you. And that was Andrew. I, um, as I mentioned earlier, I was sort of trying to find out whether there was any way, um, you know, that you you could tackle housing affordability there. Um, but the platform is there. It's just the way that, um, yeah, it's being managed as well. But uh, thank you um, for listening to 3CR. We'll be back in just a moment. VCR are selling kefir, Palestinian scarves in support of the last factory that produces them in Hebron, Palestine. All profits will be donated to the reconstruction efforts in Gaza and support Palestinian industry. These are traditional scarves available in red and black or you can choose from a modern design. Go to 3cr.org.au slash shop to buy online or drop into the station during business hours.
So now we're joined by um, SEED Indigenous Youth Network National Director Millie Telford. Um, good morning, Millie. Morning. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, thanks for being on. Uh, f- thanks for coming on. Um, so, firstly, could you tell us a bit about um, Seed Mob and the work that you guys do? Yeah, definitely. So, the Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network. Um, we are a network of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people right around the country um, who care about the impacts of climate change um, and, you know, I guess the destruction of our country from the fossil fuel industry. And so we, yeah, a, a diverse group of young mob um, from all around Australia and we're doing everything we can to stop some of the biggest fossil fuel projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so um, it's a um, so uh, seed mob is is part of um, is a branch of um, AYCC. Can you tell yeah. us a bit about that as well? Definitely, yeah. So the AYCC is the Australian Youth Climate Coalition, um, and basically, you know, when I first got involved in AYCC when I was in high school at home in Lismore, up in New South Wales, um, it was an organisation that you know cared about um, Indigenous young people, but you know, really hadn't thought too much about the impacts of climate change specifically on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, you know, both the impacts of climate change in terms of rising sea levels and, you know, extreme weather events and um, and impacts that, you know, have a huge effect on communities that are already in vulnerable positions, um, but also the destruction of our countries from, you know, coal and gas and, and digging up um, that's mm-hmm. been happening ever since colonisation. And so... Um, over the last few years, um, we have been building a branch of the AYCC for Indigenous young people by Indigenous young people, um, and that's who SEED is. And so together we work um, really, um, we're really strong and powerful when we work together as Indigenous and non-Indigenous young people, um, but there's also time and space where, you know, SEED needs to do our own thing, and, mm-hmm. and that's respected and, and supported. Um, yeah, so um, could you tell us a bit about um, the campaigns you have on at the minute? Yeah, so um, together with AYCC, we're taking on um, the two biggest fossil fuel projects in the country. So a lot of people probably already know about the Adani Carmichael coal mine um, that up in Queensland is opposed by the Wangana Jagalingu um, traditional owners. And, you know, it's been a massive campaign. It's been building momentum over the last, uh, it's been about five or six years, actually. Um, but more recently, Seed has been working in the Northern Territory with Aboriginal communities um, who are fighting gas fracking. Um, and, you know, for those in Victoria, like, you know, many communities would know about the threats of fracking um, to water, to land, um, you know, to culture and to our climate. And so we have been working with these communities um, for a few years now. Um, and we currently are seeing a moratorium, so like a pause on fracking in the Northern Territory. Um, but we are really worried that in the next few weeks, the Northern Territory government are looking like there's a chance that they might lift that moratorium and allow for fracking to go ahead. Um, yeah, that's where we're at at the moment. Um, do, do we know why um, the government are looking at lifting that? Yeah, definitely. So um, when the Labor MP government, um, who are in power at the moment, when they were elected in 2016, um, they made a promise that they would... Um, you know, I guess pause fracking or not allow fracking until they delivered a scientific inquiry um, to see the impacts of fracking. And so the last um, 18 months, we've been seeing that inquiry visit communities across the NT and, you know, hear from all different sides of the 
um, of the story and um, the fracking report um, from the inquiry is due to come down next Monday, it's what it's looking like, um, and we're hearing that it's possible that the um, Gunner government, from, um, Chief Minister Michael Gunner, will likely make a decision on the Thursday before the Easter long weekend. And so um, that's why we're, you know, concerned at the moment because, you know, making a decision just before Easter, um, if it was one that we weren't in support of, you know, it would be quite easy to see that be shoved under the rug. Mm. Um, and so we're, it's really, really important that right now not only communities in the Territory, but people right across the country show their support for, you know, the mob up there who are fighting fracking um, on the ground and really need need um, support from people to um, show the NC government that people right around the country are watching and, you know, it's not fair to have fracking in a place like the Northern Territory where there's been a history, you know, of government being able to get away with a lot. And, you know, to be in um, Melbourne, in Victoria right now where, you know, we are um, reasonably safe um, in terms of having a ban on fracking, um, you know, we really need to stand with those communities who need, who need support to, to see a ban up there too. Mm, yeah, totally. Um, and um, also, uh, what are some of the stories uh, you're hearing from from, from, from people up there um, yeah. in regards to this? Yeah, so in particular, like, Seed have been working with Aboriginal youth um, across the Territory, but, um, you know, doing this work is also incredibly important. We work with all people in community. Um, but when, it's, when I think about people like Scotty and Gadrian, who we've been working with in Borobula, um, they are just doing such an incredible job of educating, you know, their old people and community members who don't know too much about fracking and aren't quite sure. Um, and, you know, it's, it's really not fair that these big gas companies and the, the government, um, you know, often come into communities. And we'll talk a bit about, you know, the positive impacts of fracking in terms of the opportunities for a few jobs um, and, you know, some royalties, a bit of money. Um, but they don't talk about the long-term destructive impacts. Um, you know, there's a story that um, one auntie, um, a traditional owner um, around Mataranka, was told that the impacts of fracking would only be the size of a billy can. Um, and that's true in terms of, you know, the um, like one of the actual rigs. But um, it's not true in terms of the fact that, you know, if that country was to be fracked, it would poison the water um, that, you know, communities rely on out there. Um, so particularly the Beetaloo Basin and the MacArthur um, Basin. And that's just incredibly scary, you know, given that these communities um, are already seeing the impacts of climate change and, um, you know, heavily rely on their fresh water sources um, for, you know, cultural practices, but also for, for clean drinking water. Um, so, you know, there are communities on the ground that are, that are resisting, and particularly those young mob in Barralola. Um, last year they um, did a survey in their community um, asking people whether or not they wanted fracking, asking people, you know, what other alternatives they would like to see, like solar power, for example. Um, and it was really incredible to see that um, over 98% of the community said that they don't want fracking um, and that they actually want a ban on fracking across the whole of the Northern Territory, which is pretty amazing. So they've basically... Um, Borolula is basically the first Aboriginal community in the country to declare themselves gas-field-free. Oh, awesome. Um, and I was just looking um, on on your uh, website as well um, that, like, right now 83% of the NT is covered in expiration licences for oil and gas. Um, so obviously this dis- disproportionately affects um, 
uh, uh, Aboriginal, Aboriginal people. La- people and land, yeah. Uh, we, well, we're all on Aboriginal land right now. Um, but anyway, um, so what's the intersection here with land rights? Yeah, so, I mean, it's a bit of a hard one and it gets quite tricky in terms of the um, law up in the Territory, mm-hmm. um, as in white men's law, <laughs> um, because, um, you know, it, it's really scary that once, um, once community up there say yes to exploration, there's no further stage, decision-making stage, where they get to say yes or no if there was resources to be found. Um, and so, you know, that's a, a pretty terrible loophole um, in, you know, what should be our, our ability to have land rights and say, you know, have the final decision on what happens on our country. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know, we use the slogan, don't crack our land rights, um, because really this decision should be made by the people that are most impacted and by the people whose traditional country it is. Um, but what we're seeing right now is that, you know, the territory government are being heavily influenced by the gas industry itself, but also the federal government. Um, so the federal government are threatening to um, take away the territory's GST if they don't open the territory to business on fracking. Um, and that's just so, you know, it's so hard because, like I said, you know, in a place like Victoria where communities have been able to come together and band together and say, you know, we don't want fracking, you know, not here, um, it's hard in, in places like the Territory where, like I said, you know, there's a history of getting away with a lot up there, mm. whether it's the intervention, whether it's, you know, the treatment of youth in, in detention, um, there's so much. And we don't want that to happen with fracking. Like, we just absolutely can't let it happen. Um, the communities in the Territory have been fortunate um, with SEED to be able to connect with First Nations people in North Dakota who've been fighting fracking for over 10 years. Um, and, you know, they were able to, to come to Australia and to meet with some of these mob up, up in the Territory and say, you know, this is, this is where we were at, you know, 10, 20 years ago. We were being made all of these promises and, you know, we were told that the impacts were, you know, um, were going to be really minimal. But now we have people, um, you know, dying of cancer and, not being able to drink the fresh local water sources. And it's just really scary, you know, like what the impacts would be if this industry goes ahead. And so it's just so important that, you know, for everyone out there listening right now, like we need you to stand with us and we need you to stand with these communities who are calling for a ban on fracking in the Territory. And I guess, Millie, yeah, that was was going to lead to my next question. You know, it's the third largest sort of Australian federal division, which is very, very sparsely populated. I think the population is around 250,000. And, and as um, Shez mentioned, you know, 83% of the NT is covered in, in those licences. Do you see that going up at some point, or do you think that, that with this help that, that those numbers will go down? You sort of mentioned that you can't really change it, but in your view, do you think that the numbers will keep going up past 83%, or do you, do you sort of see a future where they might go down those licences? No, um, I definitely see a future that they can go down. Like, you know, I have absolute hope that, you know, when people come together, we can stand really strong. And, um, you know, when we started this campaign a few years ago, um, it was actually around 90% of the territory was covered. Um, but it was really awesome, the community of Manningrida, um, up in the north, northern um, coast of the top end in the territory. They'd been fighting an offshore um, gas and petroleum um, project and the, um, the company, Paltar Petroleum, I think it was, they actually um, revoked their licence and pulled out of the project altogether. So that was a huge success, you know, and I think it's possible to do the same um, right across the rest of the territory. It is a really scary number, um, but 
I think it also goes to show why it's so important that we need to stand together. Um, I think just like one quick point I wanted to make is that, you know, like I said, <clears throat> a lot of people might know about the Adani project, um, but something in terms of being able to um, give you a bit of a comparison for what this would mean in terms of climate um, emissions, um, if the Beedaloo Basin alone, which is a big basin um, of, of um, gas in the Territory, if that was to be fracked, that would be um, five times more emissions than the Adani Carmichael coal mine itself, um, which is really, really scary. Mm. Um, and, and so, I, um, in in response, oh, and and also, sorry, I was just uh, I was just remembering um, quite a few years ago um, now, um, and probably still, probably still, there's probably still these issues. Um, was um, the nuclear waste dump that um, um, I forgot the the place, but there was a nuclear waste Marketing. dump. Yeah, marketing. That's right. Um, yeah, that was uh, uh, going to go ahead, and there was like heaps of um, awesome action around that as well. Um, but I suppose um, I suppose this leads to the um, next uh, question, which is like, so in response, you've organised a national day of action to stand in solidarity with people up in the NT uh, next Wednesday. So can you tell yeah, us a little about right. that? Definitely. Yeah. So we're really excited. Um, we want to be able to have a whole week of power, we're calling it basically, um, next week with um, with escalations on the 21st, Wednesday the 21st. So um, here in Victoria, we have um, an action planned at Federation Square at 10 a.m. on on <coughs> sorry on Wednesday. Um, and so we'd love for everyone to be able to come along to that. It's really a chance for you to hear about um, you know what's going on in the territory and how you can um, elevate your voice and the voices of people up there who are fighting this on the ground. Um, so we'll have some speakers We um, and, you know, we'll, we'll, like I said, yeah, really be a chance to, to raise awareness about this campaign. Like, it, it really breaks my heart that, you know, people often when I when I bring this up, people don't know about it. And so we've got a lot of work to do to, you know, educate our own people um, about what's going on up there. And um, it's really exciting, you know, not only will there be action happening in Melbourne, um, there will be actions happening right across the country in most of the big capital cities, um, in a lot of regional and remote places where people are just, you know, organising their own, um, you know, grassroots actions. And then also up in Darwin on, on that Wednesday, we'll actually be meeting with um, key politicians up at, at Parliament House. And in particular, we're actually calling for a meeting with Chief Minister Michael Gunner. So we've actually been rejected by him six times over the last few years, the whole time we've been campaigning in the Territory. Um, and that's just devastating because not only is he the chief minister, um, the first chief minister to be born in the territory, and he is also the minister for Aboriginal affairs up there. And so it's really quite disappointing that he hasn't been willing to meet with Aboriginal, um, young Aboriginal people from the territory who mm-hmm. are, you know, really concerned about their future um, and about the impact of fracking on their country. Um, and so, you know, that's another thing. If people head to our Facebook page, um, the Seed Indigenous Youth Climate Network or our Twitter, Seed Mob, um, or our Instagram, Seed Mob as well. Um, you can see how you can also call on Chief Minister Michael Gunner um, to ask him to meet with us. Oh, great. Thanks. Um, and also, I suppose just leading off from what you've just said, um, and if people want to get involved in, in Seed um, or um, the AYCC, um, how can they do this? Yeah, so you can head to our website, seedmob.org.au, um, and sign up to volunteer or support us or donate to us. Um, 
So Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander young people um, are invited to volunteer with us. And then if you want to volunteer and support us as a non-Indigenous person, the best way is to get involved in the AYCC. Um, so you can go to aycc.org.au. Um, but also, just like I said, stay tuned on social media. That's where you'll see our most recent up-to-date, uh, you know, calls to action and, you know, all different information about what's going on and how you can get involved. Awesome. Thank you so much, Thanks, um, Millie. Millie, for um, th- this discussion um, and um, all the best for um, next week. Great. We'll Thank have to get so you back much. on as well. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Millie. Bye-bye. See that. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice and add your voice to the call for change to refugee policy. Demand Australia's political leaders to abandon the current harsh and unjust policies and provide permanent protection for refugees. Stand with people from all over Melbourne. Demand the evacuation of Manus and Nauru and end the cruelty. Meet at the State Library of Victoria on the 25th of March at 1.30pm. Palm Sunday Walk for Justice is a 3CR supporter. Okay, so that was uh, Millie Telford, and she's the SEED Indigenous uh, Youth Network National Director, um, and we were talking all about um, what's happening up in the NT, but more broadly um, what the work that SEED does. Um, so we were working like a well-oiled machine then. <laughs> yeah. I forgot to back announce our guest. <laughs> Um, yeah, um, and next we have uh, Nessie uh, Reese, who'll be joining us from. Um, uh, East or from Timor Leste, um, and she's a, a project uh, facilitator and trainer uh, for this program um, that aims to support. Um, oh, I suppose the, it's it's a project that will offer you know sort of me- media training and ongoing support to participants with disabilities to produce live radio programs um, in in East Timor. Timor. So that will be. Yeah, what we might do is maybe go to a song while we um, try and organise that. And then, um, yeah, we'll be back with Desi. I might play Jess McAllister. We're back. Yes. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to back announce that song. So I was was just waiting for you to talk. It's a a bit like that today, this morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's been one of those shows this morning, a bit uh, all over the place. It was not all over the place. It's been fun. Wow, it has been fun. It has been fun. Apart from, you know, going away from our governance and our radical radio ideology here with uh, one of our interviews, but we live and learn. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you That's okay, we, we, we came back with some good stuff. After. Yeah, <laughs> look, it's, um, I was, as I mentioned to um, uh, Millie, it's the third largest area, but the least populated. So it's got like 244,000 people mm. in the Northern Territory, which is half of what Tasmania has. Mm. So that support for people living in the NT from major cities like us um, is needed, especially when there is an action that is happening. You know, we've got like 4 million people in Melbourne. Mm. So they definitely do need some help, um, you know, making mm. sure that the fracking and, and I, I love how people, um, the, the, the people who support fracking talk about how, how great it is, but when environmentalists say potentially carcinogenic chemicals are used which escape, and she mm. mentioned, merely mentioned that people are dying of things like cancer mm. and things like that as well. 
Yeah. Um, so hopefully next Wednesday. It would be great if we can get her on. On Thursday morning, to yeah, give us a report yeah, on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, Even I if it's just for five minutes or so, yeah. it'll be great. Yeah. Uh, I think some other breakfast programs wanted to talk to her as well. So. <laughs> she belongs to Thursday yeah. breakfast. Um, while, while we, um, uh, yeah, getting our next guest on, maybe you might listen to the uh, song. To yeah. I just need to talk about this for like, you know, just two minutes. So uh, t- we're about to listen to Tina Weiren, uh, which is a Saharan um, rock band um, from Mali. Um, so it's Sahrawi people. Um, and I'm really excited to – they were actually in um, – in Adelaide at WOMAD Festival, and they'll be playing in Melbourne, but I'm really sad that I didn't get tickets in time. Sasha tickets are really expensive. Um, oh, what but, a, <laughs> yeah. What a um, place. Yeah, this, uh, when I first saw this, so my, my background is Sahawi, so we're uh, Sahawi people from um, Morocco. Uh, when I first saw it, because they wear the same, all people, like people in Sahara, wear all similar um, Get up. Our outfits, yeah, well, not outfits, our clothes. <laughs> um, and um, I saw, I first saw this and I was like, oh, you know, these are Sahawi. And I was just thinking that they were um, Moroccan Sahawis. And I was showing my dad, I was really excited. He was like, they're not even speaking the, lo- the local dialect, the local Sahawi di- dialect in Morocco. They actually, um, and I did research actually from um, Mali. So, um, but the sounds and the the language is 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 has some similarities. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to announce this next song, um, which is uh, Sestanakam. Join the Palm Sunday Walk for Justice and add your voice to the call for change to refugee policy. Demand Australia's political leaders to abandon the current harsh and unjust policies and provide permanent protection for refugees. Stand with people from all over Melbourne. Demand the evacuation of Manus and Nauru and end the cruelty. Meet at the State Library of Victoria on the 25th of March at 1.30pm. Palm Sunday Walk for Justice is a 3CR supporter. Marxism 18 is Australia's biggest radical left-wing conference, happening March 29th to April 1st in Melbourne. The conference will feature founding editor of Jacobin magazine, Bhaskar Sunkara, Australian writer Helen Razor, Palestinian activist Huwaida Araf, and films celebrating 50 years since the struggles of 1968. Join radicals and activists for political discussion in over 100 sessions across four days. Tickets start at $25 and are available at marxismconference.org. Red Flag Press is a 3CR supporter. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. CR Breakfast would like to say thanks to program sponsor, the New International Bookshop, for the financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall at 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. I got the red-eyed unemployed workers' desperation blues 
Why does a wealthy country like Australia allow its unemployed workers to struggle in poverty without trying to create jobs? You may well ask. Unemployed Workers Fight Back is the Australian Unemployed Workers Union program, part of the sewer program on every second Friday of the month, 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Our social security system is being defunded, privatised and dismantled and the poor and vulnerable are being criminalised and trampled upon. The Australian Unemployed Workers Union is focused on helping unemployed and underemployed workers deal effectively with the job agencies, empowering them to fight back for their rights. Remember, unemployed workers fight back every second Friday of the month at 5.30pm on 3CR Community Radio. Why do you reckon people should subscribe to 3CR? Because I think we have more awesome music shows than anywhere else. And they're niche and they're interesting and they're adventurous. 3CR, the perfect companion in your car on your road trip. If you're on digital, Mm. no tram interference. Mm. But if you're streaming, there's no tram interference. No. That's true. But if you like correct interference is always the AM. The AM, old school. <laughs> oh, like, you know, some people like the crack along vinyl. Well, yeah, some, some people like noise music. Experimental mm-hmm, noise music. Mm-hmm. To subscribe to 3CR, unwaged is $35. Yes. yes. Waged? 75 And solidarity? One fifty. One fifty. That's pretty reasonable to help keep 3CR on air. Call 3CR 94198377 and subscribe. Subscribe today. Subscribe now. Uh, we're back. Um, couldn't get our next guest on. We'll try and get them back on next week. Having some issues with Skype. Yeah. Um, but like, so if let's just talk a bit about the program then, because um, uh, the the campaign ends today, um, and this this project. So it's called uh, the Talento Imaho Deficiencia. I try my heart. Deficiencia. Um, so that translates to the talents of people with disabilities. And the project seeks to use radio as a platform to support the voices and ideas of people with disabilities. So it's, um, part of it is, um, so the, the program is, um, aimed to like train people in using, in using radio. Um, and it's, uh, to, uh, for, for several, for multi-purpose, um, thing, which is to um, not only um, have a, have platforms and challenge sort of uh, stigma associated to uh, people with disabilities living in, in Timor-Leste, but also share talents um, and fight for disability rights. Um, and so uh, they still need some support. So there's a Chuffed campaign, um, Chuffed.org campaign out there at the minute. Um, I'll just give you guys the link. So it's chuff.org forward slash project forward slash disability dash radio dash Timor. Um, or you could just Google uh, uh, support Timor Leste's first disability radio project. Um, and it's um, it's hosted by the Fundus. 
Sun uh, Media Development Center in Timor Leste, um, which is all about. Um, it was founded in 2005. It's a non-government organization that supports independent and community media organizations, um, offering production and training programs for radio, television, print, and online media. So um, yeah, again, they need uh, support and funds. Um, Chuff.org forward slash project forward slash disability dash radio dash Timor. Um, let's get some funds out there. <laughs> and I think um, uh, it was sometime last year we had um, somebody speaking to us about the role of community radio and mm. the importance of, you know, that it plays, um, you know, some of the key um, findings being things like um, uh, helping people feel like part of a community, helping mm. them stop being lonely. And it was, um, you know, it was it was fantastic to have that conversation. Um, it's all about removing barriers and, I guess, increasing effectiveness. So when you give a group of people um, an opportunity to... to better themselves, but also an opportunity to learn a new skill and be more engaged within their community. Radio is a great sort of platform for that. Um, And I think Teodosi de Reese is one of those people who is dedicating one day per week to facilitate this this project, and that's Mm. who we're going to talk to. I know um, I've had the pleasure of we got given a Ugo Lemnos CD, and he's from uh, East Timor, and... He's fantastic. So these funding opportunities um, for the community development projects are, are ending today, as you mentioned. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, get on there and have a quick look. Yeah, um, and, and we'll try. What we'll do is we'll try and um, get a pre – like try and talk to them during the week um, or um, try and get them on next week um, because, yeah, these projects are really import, important to support. Oh, it's a bit like 3CR. We're, we're yeah. a bit of a special <laughs> project in here on the Thursday Breakfast team. Um, we, uh, I was going to try and get um, Amanda Thomas as well, but her interview goes for a little bit long. So she is a lecturer in uh, environmental studies at Victoria University, um, and she wrote, she'd written an article talking about how mm. the media was framing the limits to public debate about oil exploration, yeah. which... Um, would, would have been great, but um, maybe we could just listen to a, a bit of it um, as a continuation from Millie Telford uh, to maybe part one and do part two yeah. next week. Environmental democracy is how we make decisions about the environment and who makes decisions about the environment, access to decision-making and, and the full range of politics that goes on around decision-making, so not just submissions on legislation, but the direct action that's about forcing a conversation or challenging particular power interests. There was a lot of changes under our previous government, which was a centre-right national-led government. They had a really strongly developmentalist agenda, so lots of courting of international corporations to come and explore here. We were kind of interested in what was going on to facilitate that, but also the way that communities opposed it and try to voice their concerns and be active in resisting or contesting what was going on. So we were really interested in how these communities went about creating good discussion and debate about whether we want this here or not. Yes, and so you're talking 2011 there that this was happening. Yeah, so that was when these things particularly kicked off and we started doing this project in 2013, concluded it last month really. 
So your paper in the conversation reports on six years of research in which more than 50 people are interviewed. I mean, that, that's a huge project to interview that many people. And you included in that climate activists, people representing NGOs and the oil and gas sector and local government, as well as your media yeah. analysis. Why did you do it? Why did we do it? That's a great question. I think all of us have a kind of theoretical interest in democracy, but we're also really interested in social justice and environmental justice. The idea that equitable uh, decisions are made about the environment and there's equitable access to the environment and to good, clean environments, for example. So are all of our communities getting to have a say? And what we were seeing was, no, they weren't. So the boards of Whanau Apanui, they weren't consulted at all about whether they wanted oil and gas exploration in their territorial waters. So who's the group that wasn't consulted? Uh, te Whanau uh, Apanui, so an iwi on um, the east coast of the North Island. So they weren't, they weren't consulted about that at all. And it's particularly concerning because Māori never ceded sovereignty, so they haven't ceded sovereignty over their waters. Their sovereignty is obviously not being acknowledged or honoured if consents are being given out for exploration in the water off their land. So that was one of the things you were concerned about, and were other groups also worried about it? So other reasons were that it captured a particularly important moment in New Zealand's history in relation to environmental struggle. A bunch of groups across a number of different cities and towns and regions popped up around that same time. And this was just people, some of whom who had no experience organising activist stuff before, but they were suddenly confronted with exploration vessels in their waters. So, for example, Kaikoura in the South Island, where they have a big whale-watching industry, and then consents were being given out for seismic testing in their waters. And so that community uh, organised as a group called No Drill Kaikoura. And, you know, a bunch of people who have never necessarily done this sort of stuff before and, and trying to have a say, really, about whether this should happen or not. It sounds like a pattern that's emerging in which governments aren't acting in the interests of the people or the future. And so citizen groups are, are rising up or coming into being to actually take up that, that slack, the work that governments aren't doing. Absolutely. Something that we would have certainly noticed and it's a really interesting time with our new Labour-led government here because Jacinda Ardern, our new Prime Minister, before the last election said climate change is this generation's nuclear-free moment. So oh, in the 80s, New Zealand had a big nuclear-free campaign. She said that this is our moment for a similar kind of action. But in terms of policy and, and new kind of approaches from this government, we haven't seen anything so. The fight hasn't been won and we're still waiting for strong leadership from our government. Our research has suggested some really tangible things this new government can do. So, for example, uh, repealing legislation passed in 2013 that introduced a punishment of jail if you came within 500 metres of an exploration vessel. Yeah, we're getting some of that here too. So I think that's something that we need to be enormously worried about because it got against international conventions that protect the right to protest. I mean, at the same time, there's all sorts of new websites that are popping up that are mostly commentary and, and analysis, which is great. So it is kind of a time of a real change and interesting to see what happens. You also interviewed people from the gas and oil industry. Yeah. What were their yeah. impressions and feelings about all this? 
very few people would talk to us from the oil and gas industry, which is a bit disappointing. But the people that we did talk to were really fascinating and, and were grateful for their time. And they were saying things like New Zealand has the highest environmental standards in the world, particularly around health and safety, for example. A lot of them were talking about a transition to clean energy, so looking more for gas rather than oil as part of an energy transition and, and acknowledging climate change. But they also pulled out that um, activists are, are driven by ideology, and really we're all driven by ideology, like neoliberal <laughs> yes. economic growth is an ideology, yes, and, and they have ideologies too. So that was quite interesting to see that in action. And if you've just tuned in, I'm speaking with Dr. Amanda Thomas. She's a lecturer in the School of Geography, Environment and Earth Sciences. And we'll hear the end of that uh, next week. But as she, um, as Amanda said, you know, um, people are talking about uh, activists as having ideologies that are, mm. you know, are far, far out and not really based on anything. But some scientists do support those ideologies, and mm. obviously the people that make the big decisions are just like, oh no, no, but no, no, we know everything. We know yeah. everything. Yeah. Everything is. I- I don't know, everything is kind of subjective, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So when, you, when they say that science is objective, like it's a total myth because science is informed by politics of the day. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I feel like everything is, I, well, yeah, everything's very subjective. Because it would catch 22 in that situation. But, <laughs> but, 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 the, but with these things, environmental impact, you probably don't even have to be a scientist to see it happening mm. in your local communities. Mm. But then again, to see these big cyclones coming towards Queensland, mm. that hasn't been caused by anything that's changed in climate over the last 20 years. Mm. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Um, but let's uh, take the show out. We spoke to uh, Andrew, um, who was um, uh, from Cohab earlier at 7.30, and then at 7.45 we spoke to Millie Telford about a great... Um, uh, event happening next Wednesday. Yep, yep. So that's it. There's a snap rally um, to put pressure on the NT Chief Minister Michael Gunner to ban fracking um, in the Northern Territory. Um, and that's hosted by SEED, um, which is Indigenous Youth um, Network, um, uh, the, talking about things with. Um, all, all about climate change um, and things to do with climate. Um, and they've got several campaigns at the moment, and one of the campaigns is against fracking in the NT. Um, so that will be um, – you can follow them on Facebook and that's and social media. I think they do a lot of updates uh, via there. But, yeah, so next Wednesday, 21st of March at 10 a.m. at Federation Square in the CBD. Um, and then we tried to get Desi <laughs> Reese on the phone um, from Timor, but um, due to um, technical uh, things and slash we couldn't get her, um, we uh, will try and talk to her next week. Um, and the what we wanted, so she's um, she's a Timorese project facilitator for a program or a project that seeks to use radio as a platform to support. Uh, the voices and ideas of people with disabilities. Um, and so we'll try and talk to her during the week or get her on next um, next week. And maybe uh, get uh, Millie to give us a little bit of a run back oh, on the events Millie, of Wednesday. We need to get Millie back yeah. on. She's fantastic. And just a quick reminder, um, uh, 3CR Community Radio provides a media space in enabling progressive communities to voice ideas and build their power to create social change. 
mm. not profitable change. <laughs> <laughs> That's a reminder to the Thursday breakfast team. But um, I, I think <laughs> I'm fine. No, no. <laughs> we'll, um, we'll be um, yeah back again next week, and as usual on three uh, CR eight five five AM after Thursday breakfast, we are followed by Lost in Science. Thank you very much, Sez, and I'll see you next week. Yeah, and breakfast will be back on tomorrow as well and next week, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> Language. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.